theme today uh, is the holiness of God. The songs that we sing are going to talk about that. Whenever Mark gets up and and preaches here in just a little bit, uh, that's what he's going to be sharing about. And as I was reading this week, I I was reading through Revelation chapter 4. And uh, in that passage, John is given a brief glimpse into the throne room of heaven. And uh, he portrays this picture that is just so glorious. He, He talks about the throne of God and how seated around the throne are these 24 elders that are robed in white with crowns on their head and that there is thunder and lightning emanating from the throne. There are these creatures flying above and as they flap their wings, they're saying over and over, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then in response to that declaration, the elders They take their crowns and they cast them at the foot of the throne in worship. And that's what we get to be a part of. That's what we're invited into. You know, it's something that's unique about this passage. It's believed that this is not something that has already happened or is going to happen, but this is something that is currently happening right now as we gather this morning. And so as we continue to sing, uh, let's cast our cares on him. Let's cast our joy, our sorrow at the foot of the throne as we worship and as we lift our voices together. We fall down. 
we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of His mercy and love at the feet.
Just your voices now, holy, holy. and our praise than you. And God, we thank you that we are holy. God, we recognize that we are not, but we thank you for the ultimate show of love by sending your son to be a sacrifice so that we can be counted as holy. So God, we thank you for that. We thank you for who you are, God. And we are moved by the privilege that it is just to worship you. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray this morning. Good morning. Good. There we go. Very nice. I almost have a loud enough voice. I could have done it. That's okay. Um, good morning, Faith Bible Church. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dustin and the band, for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, well done, my friend. Uh, my name is Seth Brown. I'm the pastor of Adult Connections, and on behalf of the staff and elders, we are thankful that you are here today as we gather to worship God through the singing of his word and through the preaching of his word as well. 
If you're new to Faith Bible Church, we are glad you're here. Uh, we hope that you enjoy your time with us, but are blessed by uh, the time uh, worshiping with us as well. We encourage you to visit the Welcome Center. It's out in the lobby, across the lobby. Uh, after the service, there'll be some folks there, some volunteers, to meet you and get to know you and answer any questions that you might have about Faith Bible Church. So again, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, I have four announcements, very quick announcements. Uh, and the first is not in your bulletin. There's a lot of information in there, but this is not in there. Uh, we are thankful that as of yesterday afternoon, Chris and Sarah McLaughlin have arrived home. Uh, from Denver, Colorado. Praise God for that. Yeah. Uh, just over four months since Chris's rollover accident, they've been in Denver the majority of that time doing rehab, and uh, they are back home and, and hopefully will join us very quickly. But to celebrate them, uh, we are going to be hosting a welcome home ice cream social with the McLaughlin family, and that's going to be on Tuesday, August the 27th, so a week from Tuesday, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock in the new student ministry area up on the second floor of the new building. And so we hope that you can join us for that. It's going to be your chance to greet them, welcome them home, and then just spend some time with them and hear from them about their heart very briefly and about what they've gone through. So again, that's Tuesday, August the 27th from 6.30 to 8. We hope that you can join us for that. Second, uh, we have a Women's Connect event coming next Sunday afternoon. It's called In Real Life. It's going to focus on uh, authentic relationships that are gospel-centered and the importance of those in our ladies' lives. That's going to be next Sunday at 3 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Uh, that'll go till about 5. And uh, ladies, you can sign up for that online. It is free, and we hope that you'll join us for that. And then at uh, 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon is our 2-7 orientation. 2-7 is sort of our discipleship training ministry that meets on a weekly basis. And uh, to find out more information, we'd love for you to be at the orientation next Sunday afternoon at East, in, in room E7. And then lastly, all Wednesday night activities will start on Wednesday, August the 28th. And uh, there's uh, information about that on the back of your bulletin. And I would, I would just encourage you to take a look at that and the rest of your bulletin for all the things that are going on in the next several weeks uh, here at Faith Bible. There's a lot happening as fall is rolling around very soon. So thank you again for being here. If you'll stand and greet one another, we will continue worshiping God together. Thanks. You may be seated. Well, it's good to see everybody being all this friendly today with one another. God, God bless you guys. It's good to be here with everyone. It's uh, good to be back. Uh, Cheryl and I were gone for a couple of weeks to Alto, New Mexico, a little bit north of Rio Doso, New Mexico, and it's kind of a shock to come back to this weather. But as you all know, it's, uh, it's always good to get away, but it's always wonderful to be back. And we're always glad to be back here with you all, with God's people at Faith Bible Church. We've got an exciting fall uh, schedule. We just finished a study of the book of 1 Peter, and uh, the plan is to begin another book study after the first of the year. We have a, a few topical studies here through the fall, but uh, this morning what I want to do is bring uh, one, uh, just kind of a one-time message from Isaiah chapter 6. So if you'll take your Bible and turn there with me uh, to Isaiah chapter 6, that'll kind of be our anchor passage that we use, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. There's a, a story about a father who was watching his young son. He was sprawled out on the, the floor of his bedroom at his house, and he was drawing a picture and he was very intensely focused on what he was doing and just engrossed in this work of art. And crayons were scattered everywhere. And there were some unfinished sketches that were wadded up and had been cast aside. And so not wanting to break his child's concentration, the father gently inquired. He said, son, uh, what are you drawing? And uh, without even pausing to look up, the boy replied, God. And somewhat taken back, the father said, well, son, no one knows what God looks like. Confidently gazing at his masterpiece, the boy said, they will when I'm finished. <laughs> now, much like that boy, we all have a mental picture of God. We just mention God, there's some image that comes up in our mind or some picture of God. And our, our picture or image of God is critically important uh, to who we are. In fact, our picture of God, we could say, I think legitimately, is the most important thing about us. 
Um, A.W. Tozer, the great pastor, um, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said this years ago, it's a well-known quote, but he says, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. No religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. And I believe that's true. What we think about God determines everything else in our lives. It determines what we value, what we pursue, how we pursue it, and I guess we could also say what we don't pursue in life. You and I were made, we were created uh, to know God. And since that's true, what I want to do this morning is think together about the greatest thing that can ever occupy uh, the mind of a person, and that is simply the being of God himself. That's the greatest of topics that we can ever imagine is just simply God himself. Now, more specifically, what I want to do this morning is think together about one attribute or characteristic of God, and that is uh, the holiness of God. Now, this is a bit more of a topical sermon this morning. Uh, We're going to refer to a lot of verses, but I want to anchor this message in one main passage that is Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 8. So I'm going to read these verses, but I'm going to make a few comments as I read them since we're not going to go through and do an exposition of these verses like we uh, normally would. You'll notice Isaiah 6 begins, in the year of King Uzziah's death, that's 739 B.C., Uh, King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. It had kind of been a a golden age in the history of Judah. But notice he says, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. Uh, This was a very uncertain time in Judah. This great king Uzziah has died, and there was a lot of uncertainty about the future. But I like what one man says. He puts it like this. Uzziah's throne was empty, but God's was occupied. Uzziah's reign had ended, but God's had not. Uzziah's voice was silent, but God's was strong. God's answer for troubled times has always been the same. Heaven has an occupied throne. That's a good thing to know in these times in which we live, that heaven has an occupied throne. And on that throne, lofty and exalted, he sees the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him. Uh, The word seraph means to to burn. So these are literally, they're burning ones. Each having six wings, with two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. So they're, they're covering their faces before the presence of God. And notice it says, and one called out to another and said, so this is like an antiphonal song of praise in heaven as they're calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. And if we were to go to Revelation 4, we'd see the same thing. It says that the beings there in heaven, they fly around the throne of God and they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Now, I know sometimes some of us, we don't like some songs because maybe they repeat the same thing over and over again. God doesn't mind repetition as long as it's the right things. Think about that. Since they were created, these beings have never stopped saying and they never will stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. The foundation of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he'd taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven." Then I I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Notice there, it's plural. This is an indication of the, the plurality of the Godhead, what we would call the Trinity. Then I said, Here am I, send me. Well, may the Lord write his eternal word on our hearts this morning. What I want to do this morning in our time together is, is I hope, to humbly, to reverently 
consider the holiness of God. And three central points I want to look at here this morning to help us uh, organize our thoughts. The first point is the centrality of God's holiness, how important it is. Then the characteristics of God's holiness. And then our response to that or the call of the holiness of God to our lives. I want to start this morning with what I call the centrality of the holiness of God, because when we ask the question, who is God, or what is God, what is He like, where do we start? I mean, you know, where do you start when you're going to think about who God is? Because thinking about God is the most profound subject that can ever enter the mind of a human being. Now, to help us with this, theologians have developed what they call the attributes of God. Uh, the word attribute means a characteristic. Um, I love Charles Ryrie's definition of an attribute of God. He says an attribute of God is anything that's true about God. So anything that's true about God is one of his attributes. And when, when we think about who God is and what he's like, the most fundamental attribute of God is his holiness. Holiness is the centerpiece of the divine being. It's the core of the character of God. Uh, the old uh, Puritans used to call the holiness of God the attribute of attributes. In other words, it was the one attribute that was above the others and in some way uh, contained and summarized the whole of who God is. I mentioned earlier a quote by A.W. Tozer. He's got a great book. If you've never read it, you need to. But his book on the attributes of God is called The Knowledge of the Holy so when he talks about God, he calls God the holy. In other words, it's a summary for who God is. Uh, Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, said, Holiness is the most sparkling jewel of God's crown. It is the name by which he is known. Uh, God is called holy in the Bible more than anything else. Uh, more than he's called powerful, more than he's called merciful, more than he's called loving or gracious or wise, God's fundamental truth about himself is that he is holy. In fact, he's often called in the Bible the Holy One. And the Bible says, holy is his name. Uh, the very first time the word holy appears in the Bible is Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, where Moses is there at the burning bush, and God's presence is there, and God tells Moses, Moses, take off your shoes or your sandals because you're on holy ground. And it was holy ground, that place was holy because God was there. We read in Psalm 99, verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 103, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless His holy name. Isaiah 40, verse 25, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. Psalm 111, verse 9, Holy and awesome is his name. In Ezekiel chapter 36, and verse 22, God says that his zeal burns for the holiness of his great name more than anything else. God is more passionate about the holiness of his name than anything. Here's what God said to Ezekiel. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name when through, when, when through you I vindicate my holiness before your eyes." The thing that God is most passionate about and has the most zeal about is the holiness of his own great name. Hosea 11.9 says, For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. Revelation 15.4 says, Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. I hope you're getting the picture here. I could keep going on and on reading passages like this. But above all, God's name is holy. But that's not all. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. And that's what we see here in Isaiah 6, but also over, as I mentioned earlier, in Revelation chapter 4. It's not that God is merely holy, or He's just holy, holy, but God is holy, holy, holy. And I love the way that the old preachers used to call it. They'd say the thrice holy God. 
It's the only superlative in the Bible, the only threefold repetition stated in the highest way possible. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or grace, 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 or wisdom, 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 or any of the other attributes of God. But it does say that God is holy, 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 and He's earth-filling. The whole earth is full of His glory. So we see the centrality of the holiness of God throughout Scripture. There's some other ways, though, we see the centrality of God's holiness. When the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, what did Jesus say? Our Father who art in the heavens. And then what's the first line of the first petition? Holy be thy name. The first thing we're to pray to God is that the name of God would be regarded as holy. Of course, one of the ways we do that is to live a holy life. If I want God's name to be regarded as holy, then I want to live a life that reflects His holiness. Remember remember in the tabernacle that was built and then later the temple, there was that structure that had two parts to it. And the outer part was called the holy place. And then the inner sanctum there where the localized manifestation of God's presence resided, what was that called? The holy of holies. Because that's where God uh, resided. Uh, The third member of the Godhead is called what? The Holy Spirit. Think about that. That's That's the attribute of God that's highlighted. Um, Holiness is the attribute, the only attribute that God ever swears by. In uh, Psalm 89, verse 35, God says, once I have sworn by my holiness. So God's holiness is the centerpiece of his person. God is, is holy in every attribute and every action because that is the essence of who God is. So What comes to your mind and my mind when we think about God, that is the most important thing about us. And the first thing that should come to our mind when we think about who God is and what He's like is that God is holy. That's the centrality of the holiness of God. Now let's look at the characteristics of God's holiness. What does it mean when we say that God is holy? Now, God's holiness, as we look at Scripture, can basically be characterized or defined in two ways. Now, I always hate to do this because when you think about the holiness of God, to try to reduce it down and say, okay, there's two aspects of God's holiness doesn't do justice to it. But to get our finite minds around it, we have to put it in some kinds of categories so we can understand it. So there's two chief aspects of the holiness of God. And whenever I was, if I was to say to you that, you know, God is holy, probably the first thing that would come to most of our minds is, is that God is absolutely pure, right? That God is free from sin. Uh, God's uncontaminated. He's blameless. God is without any taint whatsoever of sin. And that is one aspect of God's holiness that theologians often call the ethical or moral holiness of God, and that is that God is separate from corruption. Uh, the primary meaning of the word holy is to separate. It means uh, to cut. And applying this to God, it means that God is separate or He's cut off from sin. So God has no degrees of sin. God doesn't conform to a standard. God is the standard. And sin is revolting and abhorrent to God. In fact, Habakkuk 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. James 1.13 says, God cannot be tempted by evil. Uh, there's nothing within God that can respond in any way to any solicitation to evil. 1 John 1.5 says it beautifully, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So I think we all understand this ethical aspect of God's holiness, that God is cut off or God is separate from all corruption. He's utterly, absolutely perfect. Uh, God can never commit, contemplate, or even countenance um, sin. 
But there's another aspect of the holiness of God that most people don't think of that's really the essence of the being of God himself. And this is often called by theologians transcendent or majestic holiness. So moral holiness tells us God is separate or cut off from all corruption. But God's transcendent or majestic holiness tells us that God is separate from creation. He's separate from everything. So remember again, the word holy means to to be separate or to, to be cut off. And you could translate it a cut above. When we talk about someone or, or something that's outstanding or excellent or superior, we'll say that it's a, a cut above the rest. This means the one that's holy is incomparable and one of a kind and without rival. So to be holy means to be distinct or separate or in a class by oneself. I was thinking this week as I was looking at this topic about years ago when I was in law school, I remember I took a, an elective class called Agency and Partnership. We had a professor who was from back east, and I don't really remember a lot about him, but I remember he loved Latin phrases. I mean, the guy just, he was just a, 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 just a fountain of Latin phrases. And so I remember, when I, one thing I do remember is when I took the final exam, I put down every Latin phrase you could ever imagine in history. I mean, the guy loved this stuff. So you just, any Latin phrase you could throw in there, you just put it in there. But there was one Latin phrase that he used all the time. And almost every class, he'd use it several times. I don't remember the context of it, but it's the, the phrase sui generis. And sui generis means one of a kind, or literally of its own kind. And he would use that all the time in relation to the topic we were studying. But that's true ultimately only of God. Only God is sui generis in the ultimate sense. Only God is of his own kind. The Bible tells us that God is transcendently separate, if you will. He, he rises above Everything in this creation, in his person and in his being, he's majestically set apart. God is sui generis. He's of his own kind. In fact, and I'm sure you've sensed this before in your own life, that God is so far above and beyond us that he seems foreign to us sometimes. I'll I'll lie in bed at night sometimes and be praying to God and think, you know, there's 7 billion people in the world and God knows me. And he knows what I'm praying. He knows what everybody else is praying. And he's working together the affairs of my life. I I lie in bed at night often and think, God, who are you? You're not like me. God is, is set apart in his holiness. In fact, theologians call this the otherness of God. God is other. He's that holy other being. We don't have any category to put him in. Uh, There's nothing we can compare him to. In fact, that's why one of the Ten Commandments is God says, don't ever make a graven image of me. We can't make an image of God because God is greater than anything that we've ever thought of. So God possesses majestic holiness. And the Bible puts it like this, Exodus 15, 11. Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? 1 Samuel 2.2, there is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee, nor is there any other rock like our God. Whenever you see this uh, terminology in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, where these beings fly around the throne of God and say, holy, 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 what we think of often in that is, again, that God is separate from sin. God's cut off from, from corruption. But really, I think it primarily has the idea of the transcendent holiness of God. What those beings fly around the throne and really are saying is other, 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 or separate, separate, separate. It's not just that God's separate from sin. God is a separate being. And there's an infinite chasm between God and us and everything else. And when we meet the holy, we become immediately aware that we are not like him. I mean, look at Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, he comes face to face with a holy God, and he's undone. He's unraveled. I mean, he's disintegrated, if you will, and just overwhelmed in the presence of God. Of course, Jesus is God in human flesh. And you remember the story in Mark chapter 4 
where he's in the boat with his disciples and a storm comes up and he's asleep and they think they're going to perish. And one of the things I love about that story is the word mega, the Greek word mega or great is used three times. The first time it says, and there came a mega wind or there was a mega storm. And finally, Jesus wakes up and the disciples are worried that they're going to die. And Jesus says, hush, be still. And it says the wind stopped and the waves stopped. So normally if the wind stopped, you would take a while for the waves to, to go down. But Jesus speaks, the wind immediately goes to zero and the Sea of Galilee is like glass. And the next use of the word mega is, and it says, says there was a mega calm. Then the next word is the disciples were mega afraid. <laughs> they were very much afraid. And what they said to Jesus to me is so striking. Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is he? In other words, they're struck by him being other. And the power of Christ was more frightening to them than anything they had met in nature. So this is the awesome otherness of God. He's the other. There's a great quote I read this week. Here's what the, the man says. I love this. He says, God is the absolute reality beyond which is only more of God. His holiness is what he is as God, which no one else is or ever will be. In the end, language runs out. In the word holy, we've sailed to the world's end. In the utter silence of reverence and wonder and awe, there may be more to know of God, but that will be beyond words. It's beautiful, isn't it? God's the absolute reality beyond which is only more of God. We talk about holiness, we've sailed to the world's end in utter silence. You could say it like this. One man I read said that holiness is godness. I mean, holiness is what makes God, God. Now, how do we respond to this? We hear this about God and we read this in the scriptures. What is the response that this calls for uh, in us as creatures? Well, there's three main responses. I want to mention these as we close this morning. The first one is awe. We should be awestruck. And I, I pray that that's rising up in your heart this morning as we've been here and we've sung about the holiness of God and we hear about it now. I mean, Isaiah was a man who'd been in the presence of royalty. He knew what it was like to be in the, the court of a king. But now he's in the presence of the king of kings, and he's awestruck by it. He's overwhelmed. And again, I pray that we're experiencing some of that now, a deep sense of awe and wonder of who God is. There's a great theologian years ago, an Old Testament scholar named Gleason Archer, um, a brilliant man. He had a, an uncanny ability to learn languages. He knew many Semitic languages. He could learn modern languages very quickly. It was just a, an ability God had given him. And he was speaking one time to a large group of people about what it'll be like to go to heaven. And he was an older man at this time and thinking about himself standing before God someday. And he talked about how people often say, when we get to heaven, you know, the first thing I want to do is, you know, see my mom or, you know, my uncle or, you know, a child that, that, that died in childhood if you're a parent or your know, uncle Bob or whoever it is. But he said that his thought was when we get to heaven for the first thousand years, our response is simply going to be this. He just hung, I can't do it as good as he did it, but just hung his mouth open. But think about that. A thousand years, he said, that's going to be our response. Just stand there with our mouth hanging open. Now, I don't know that that will be it, but that's the sense of seeing this God that we're reading about here, this holy other being, seeing him for the very first time is going to create an, an awe in us that will carry us throughout the endless ages. And now in this life, we can get some taste and some glimpse of that as we spend time in God's presence uh, through his word or through nature and creation around us as we look into the heavens at night and think of who he is. There's a great story I like about, it came from years ago, a woman in Kansas City was in the plaza area of Kansas City and she was in a Haagen-Dazs ice cream store. And um, she's standing there in line, and she looks around, and standing right behind her is the famous actor, Paul Newman. 
Now, some of you that are younger may not know who he is, but he was a very handsome man in his day, a heartthrob for, for ladies, and she's one of his biggest fans, and he's there in Kansas City filming a movie, and he's standing right behind her in the haagen store, and he just looks at her and just says, uh, hello, and her knees almost buckled, she says at that time, and she got a, her, her heart was in her, in, her, in her throat, and she wasn't able to say anything to him. She just kind of stood there. So she's mortified and turns around and just pays for the ice cream and walks out of the store. And outside, she just sat down there just to catch her breath and couldn't believe what had just happened. And as she calmed down, she realized she didn't have her ice cream cone with her. So <laughs> she was debating whether to be embarrassed and walk back in and get it. And about that time, Paul Newman walked out and looked her in the eye and said, are you, are you looking for your ice cream cone? And again, she was speechless and just kind of nodded yes. And he said, you put it in your purse with your change. <laughs> now, a lot of us have probably been uh, in the presence of someone we admire, you know, maybe some great athletic hero or some singer, whoever it is. And we're in awe of those people, right? But you think about that, when you really get to know someone like that, they're just like us. They're really not that awesome. But think about this for a moment. Why is it that we can enter into the presence of God, this holy other being, with just a kind of a yawn and a shrug many times in our lives? It's sad, isn't it, that we can become so acquainted and so familiar with God that we're not in awe of His presence any longer. This woman was in awe, but you and I should be exponentially in awe of God, of His greatness. And when we see who God truly is, you and I will never, ever be the same. And I just think one of the great things in life are the problems and the difficulties and struggles of life that we have, when we see God, who He really is, and come to know Him, the other things of life become ordered in their place. It's a great, it's a great solver of problems in life. The second response to God's holiness is just an acknowledgement of our own lack of holiness. You hear politicians now, we're getting into the season of uh, the presidential election. It's a long way away, but it starts early. But everybody's got their diagnosis of the problems in our culture and the problems in the world, and uh, some of them are, are, are pretty good. But if we're to read the Bible, we would find out the biggest problem for humanity I mean, far and away, the biggest problem for humanity is, is that God is holy and we're not. That's the biggest problem we have because we have to deal with him. You can't get around him. He's there and he's holy and we're not holy. That's a huge problem. And that's what Isaiah faces as he sees the Lord high and lifted up. Woe is me. I am ruined. He's disintegrated. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah is blown away in brokenness because he realizes how morally separated he is from God. And he focuses here on his lips. I'm a man of unclean lips because think of, think of our lives. Our depravity is most often manifested through our mouths. It's what we say that really betrays what we are uh, down in our hearts. And the only answer here is one of these beings comes and touches his mouth with a coal from an altar, and that altar speaks of sacrifice. It's a preview, a foreshadow of the sacrifice of Jesus, because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. He says, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Look, we've got a big problem. God is holy and we're not holy. And the only way that we can have a relationship with God is to meet God in the person of Jesus. God's holy, we're not holy. And the only way we can meet is in the only one, the one who's God and man, the God-man, the one who's sinless, the one who's sinless so he's God, but he can come as a man and die for us in our place. And Jesus came and he took our unholiness so that we can be uh, blameless before God. There's an old uh, passage back in the book of Exodus. I love it in Exodus 25, when God has the tabernacle built and the Ark of the Covenant is built, and on the Ark is the mercy seat where the blood was placed once a year on the Day of Atonement. And I love that verse in Exodus 25 where God says, I will meet with you there. That's where God was going to meet with him, at the mercy seat. 
And the only place where God can meet a sinner is in the person of Jesus Christ, who is our mercy seat. He's the place where we can meet a holy God. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's what you need to do. He's the meeting place between a holy God and sinful human beings. God satisfied His own holy demands by judging sin through the death of His Son. Now, let me say this this morning with all the earnestness with which I can say it, and that is the only way I can describe this would be horrific to someday appear before this God we're talking about, this holy God, and to appear there in the filthy rags of your own righteousness. Can you imagine what that would be? A lot of people, they don't know God. They've never thought about the God of the Bible and what He says He's like, and they think they're just going to kind of waltz into His presence there before His throne, and He's just going to let them into heaven because of what a fine person they are or some things they've done. No, we're undone before Him. We're, we're people of unclean lips. We're, we're depraved. We're lost. There's a moral chasm between us and Him. And the only way you can stand someday before God is if you've trusted in the one that He sent to take your unholiness away and to give you His blamelessness. And I love that verse in the book of Jude that says we're going to stand in His glorious presence blameless with great joy. And the only reason we can be blameless is because He took the blame for us. If you stand before the Lord someday in your own unrighteousness, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And you will have heard the message, you're hearing it now, to take Jesus Christ to be your Savior. He is the only remedy uh, for human sin. He's the only refuge uh, to whom we can flee. We place our hope not in our own goodness, but we place our hope in His grace. The final response, and there are many others we could mention, but that I thought of primarily is action, the final response to God's holiness. You'll notice that Isaiah here is cleansed by God. There's a cleansing, but then after the cleansing, there's a commissioning. And when he says, who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. That's literally just two words in Hebrew. You could translate it, behold me, send me. In other words, he realizes that the only proper response to a God like this is to go and to serve him and to give his life sacrificially for whatever God desires for him to do. And that's, that's where you and I need to be this morning is if you've come to the Lord and seen something of who he is and your need for cleansing before him, then there's a commissioning to ask God and say, God, what do you have for me to do? You're this being that's not like me, that's separate from me, but I owe everything I am and everything I have to you to go forth and to serve you, to run after him and to pursue him with all we have. But to really do that, to be committed to do that and to have the strength and the stamina to do it over the long haul, you have to have a vision of who God is. If you don't have that vision, at some point in time, you're going you're to peter out and give up. There's an old story about a grandfather. He was sitting lazily on the porch at his house out in the country, and his grandson was there with him, and there were six old hound dogs lying on the porch there with him. And about 100 yards across the field, a rabbit darted out from some some, uh, brush and uh, stared back at the house just for a moment and then darted back in uh, to this brush. Now, one of the dogs perked up, and he let out a, a short bark, and he takes out across the field. And really quickly, the the other five dogs jumped to their feet in pursuit of that first dog. And the grandfather told his grandson, he said, son, let me tell you exactly what's going to happen here. In about 10 minutes, he said, them other five dogs are coming back. They're going to come back one by one with their heads hung down and their tongues out. But in about 30 minutes, that first dog is going to come back and he's going to have the rabbit in his mouth. Sure enough, that's what happened. And so this little boy asked his granddad, he says, well, how did you know what was going to happen? And the grandfather said, I knew exactly what was going to happen because that first dog, you see, he's the only one that saw the rabbit. The other dogs were just running and yapping because there was some excitement. And tragically, I think a lot of professing Christians today are like those, those five dogs, They get caught up and swept up in hearing a great sermon or some great music somewhere or some exciting event that we're part of, and they start to yap and run, but but one by one, they come back with their heads hung low and their tongues out. Because 
Only those who have really seen the rabbit have the passion and have the endurance to keep running until they catch the prize. The only thing in life I think that's strong enough to push us through the weariness and the struggles of life and to hang in there is getting a vision and a glimpse of who God is to help us keep up the chase. The only people I believe in life who can do that are those who've seen the rabbit and they run after him with all that they have. And so an important question for all of us here this morning is, have you seen the rabbit? You've heard about him, maybe just kind of been following other people, but have you seen the rabbit of the holiness of God? And I pray that here this morning, through God's word and through a few feeble words that I've spoken, that God will give you a glimpse of who he is. Maybe you're just running after something you haven't seen for yourself or just kind of been following the bark of other people. And if that's true, you're eventually going to get frustrated and you're going to quit. If you don't see God for yourself, you're not going to have the passion and the determination to keep up the chase. That's the only passion that will sustain you. And I became a believer when I was a young boy, but I, I can remember distinctly, I was 22 years of age, and I would, to use the language we've just used in this story, I would say in my life, I remember that night, that's the first time I saw the rabbit. And when, when that happens in your life, you, you set off in a white, hot pursuit that can, can never be altered and never be diminished. It's the only thing that can do it. If you don't have that, you're going to wear down and you're going to give up. When you see God, who God is, you'll set out in that white, hot pursuit of Him uh, the rest of your life. It's the only thing you can do. We've seen God in His holiness. And I, I pray that we've done that here this morning, at least in some measure. And so my prayer is that we will leave here and we'll go out together as God's people and we'll join uh, in that pursuit to find out what is God's calling on my life? What does God want me to do? and to give ourselves for the only one um, who's worthy of our lives and of our service. Well, let's pray together. If you are here this morning without Jesus, uh, don't leave here without him. Don't believe the folly that somehow God is going to let you into heaven, let you into his holy presence, uh, robed in sin and shame. But you have to come to Jesus. He's the meeting place between a holy God and sinful man. He's the only meeting place. The Bible tells us he's the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Trust in him. Believe in him. Take him to be your Savior this morning. Father, for those of us who know you, give us a renewed vision of yourself, a strengthening, sustaining vision. And Father, we thank you that with all the turmoil we see around us in our world today and sometimes in our own lives, that there's an occupied throne in heaven where you sit in majestic holiness. Well, Father, may we surrender to you today. May each of us in our hearts say, behold me, send me. Oh God, what do you have for me to do? To go out in faithful service to our great majestic God. We ask these things in precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'll stand with me for the benediction as we are dismissed with the Lord's blessing. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here with us this morning. We pray you've been blessed by your time here with us. And if you go out these doors, the left side of the lobby, there's a welcome center there. There are some people there who'd love to give you some more information about our church. I'll be down front after the service, down here in front of the, the auditorium. Our elders who are present will be down front as well, and we'd love the opportunity to pray with you, uh, maybe meet you this morning, and maybe talk with you more about uh, the things that we've looked at here in the Scriptures this morning. Let's bow our heads for the benediction now as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. Well, Father, we've, we've read your word this morning. We've heard from you. And now we pray that we will not just be hearers of that word, but doers of it. So send us out now, I pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit, energized and empowered by a fresh, renewed vision of who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen.